0: Can we thank our worship leaders? Weren't they unbelievable? You know, I've decided I'm staying. (laughs) I mean, y'all sound great. Uh, We got incredible worship. The staff here has been amazing. Um, I can have a great salad and I didn't have to chop up one single thing. I mean, there are waterfalls here. The weather is awesome here. The conversations are incredible. Uh, But probably most important, this really is holy ground. And I hope you are sensing and and listening uh, to what God has for you this weekend. Because he has something important for you. We started with this phrase, and we're going to say it every session. Uh, You can probably say it with me now. That a change of pace and a change of place gives you a... I want you to think about that. As, as I'm talking tonight, I'm going to give you an opportunity at the end of the service to really do some business with God, to respond to what he's saying to you this weekend. And, and I, I bet if we polled every single person, there would be something different. That's the way God is. God isn't cookie cutter. God is, he knows you, and he knows how you came, and he knows how he wants you to leave. So listen and be ready. At the end of the time, we're going to have an extended time for you to really think about that, to think about that. Now, I love toys. I love books, too, but I love toys. Because in my house, when you walk through the rooms, I can kind of place the season we were in by the toys. Is that true for y'all? So we went through the Buzz Lightyear phase at our house. That was very serious. (laughs) Kind of still is. (laughs) The American Girl stage, we did that. We did all those. But it's fun to walk through your house. But I wonder what your favorite childhood toy is. Now, it could be your toy. It could be a kid's toy. It could be your brother or sister's toy. But think for a minute about... Your favorite childhood toy. Think about it, and then you're gonna share it with the person next to you. You ready? I'm gonna let you think for a minute, because you don't have long. Ready? Go. 30 second warning. Five, four, three, two, one, stop. That was fun, wasn't it? Okay, so let me share my favorite toy. You might be surprised. There are lots I could pick from, but here it is. Is yours? Yes, it was yours, too. OK. Okay, did you know this is a Tupperware product? Okay, I, I didn't really remember that until I went and actually looked at this. But I, I love this toy. I can remember my kids uh, doing this, and they, they could never really figure out how to empty them, which was good news because they didn't spill out everywhere, right? But you pulled it. You had to pull it and put those toys you had to clean up because they inevitably got bored with it. And then I kind of wanted to do it, right? There's something about finding the right shape and, you know, I guess... As they got older, they did perfection, but I never thought that was as fun as this, right? Now, when I saw them doing this, I kind of automatically, kind of vocational hazard of preachers, I thought of something that uh, I mentioned at the first talk. Augustine said that, uh, that we, our hearts are restless until we fi- they find their rest in God, right? But Blaise Pascal, who was a, a mathematician, he said it a little bit different. He said that we have a God-shaped hole in our hearts. Have you heard that before? I love that, right? And I thought, think about this. You know, we have spent so much time cramming the wrong things into our God-shaped hole in our heart. Could be ice cream. Could be a lot of things. You know, the younger brother tried to cram into that hole his crazy experiences and his bad choices. Some people do that. The older brother that we're going to talk about tonight tried to fill his God-shaped hole with duty and earning the father's favor. But neither one of them got it right. See, the only thing that would fit would be God himself. And both of them would only find their life through the love of the Father that we just sang about, the reckless love of the Father. Jesus was inviting them to come home to the love of the Father and to find their life in him. You know, it's interesting, when people read this story, I think we all kind of gravitate to the younger brother because that's such a a great reconciling story. We're so blown away by that. We kind of forget this older brother plot line. Now, I'm guessing in a room full of women, we have a few older sisters in the room. You could see yourself there. You know, birth order is a funny thing. Uh, turn to the person beside you and share where you are in birth order. Go. All right, five, a four, a three, a two, and a one. Yes, y'all are getting good at stopping. Thank you. Okay, I'm one of six kids in my family. That's why I have two. (laughs) Um, I'm the number two girl. There were five girls and one boy, or there are five girls and one boy in our family. Um, A little bit crazy. I know, a lot crazy. And I'm number two, but I should have been number one. (laughs) I mean, my big sister will probably tell you that too. Part of my life story is that I always felt like I had to earn God's grace. Maybe that's part of your story. I do a lot of good things. You know, it it came to kind of a head... um, and my kids were in middle school, and this crazy story, it's kind of a family joke now, thank goodness. One of those moments where I had to apologize. Moms, do you know how to do that? You need to. We need to apologize to our kids. Only boy. It was middle school. And my son was turning 13, a big deal. But it happened, it coincided, his birthday is January 22nd, and that's a very busy time at the church I served. For lots of reasons, there were a lot of things going on. And so I kind of was at the end of my rope doing good things. But my kids never, ever, ever take a back seat to my ministry. That's so important to me. And so I had worked so very carefully to make sure his birthday would be perfect. Part of what we do in our family is on their birthday, they get to choose what we're having for dinner, right? And at my house, that means I'm frying chicken every time. which is quite a task at the end of the day, right? If you're tired and you've taken kids to sports and you're doing all that, but by golly, I was committed to getting him that chicken. So the night before, I I laid out, I had made his cake, because also I I do homemade cakes, made the cake because I do good things, right? I, I, (laughs) I, I, I made the cake, the gifts were out, And the last thing was chicken. How was I going to make sure that was pretty easy? So I said, okay, let's not do whole chicken. I'll just do chicken tenderloins. The kids like those better. That was going to be easy. So I took those, and I took the chicken. I'd gone to Costco. Thank God for Costco, right? I mean, (laughs) praise the Lord, right? Big thing of chicken tenders. And I I gave it to my husband, who took it down in the basement. I said, put it in the refrigerator. (laughs) Next day, I got home. And I had about this much margin (laughs) to get that done, right? I mean, we typically eat like at 8.30 anyway because the kids had sports and I wanted to cook. We try to cook four nights a week, all that because I do good things, (laughs) right? So um, I asked my husband, I said, hey, would you go downstairs and get the chicken? (laughs) You know where this is going, don't you? (laughs) You put it in the freezer. I wish I could say, I was like, well, honey, why don't you go out and get some more chicken at the Kroger? I didn't do that. I blew up. I had so little margin. Is this relating to anybody? Okay, just checking. I mean, we call this the chicken incident at my house. (laughs) It's a thing. I mean, it's a, it's a If I call my kids right now, I was like we're talking about the chicken incident. They're like, "Why are you telling a group of people about the chicken incident?" Okay, I said some things I shouldn't have said. I think I threw the chicken. I'm pretty sh- <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty sure I threw it. I'm pretty sure I did that. Yeah. Been there done that. Yeah. Okay. I'm an older sister. And if you're a person who has a little margin and you do a lot of good things, you can become the older sister. See, there's a reason why you do all those things. Good things are good until they're not, right? Good things are good until you miss grace. Until you can, And then you miss extending grace. Okay, the older brother, I mean, he was a typical overachiever. He was always doing the right thing. He was always making his parents proud. He probably was head of the safety patrol in elementary school. (laughs) An Eagle Scout, ready to take over the family business. But here's his story. Now, his elder son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the slaves and asked what was going on, and he replied, Well, your brothers come, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he got him back safe and sound. Then the older brother became angry, and he refused to go in. His father came out and began to plead with him, but he answered his father, Listen, for all these years I've been working like a slave for you, and I've never disobeyed your command you have never given me even a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came back, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. Then the father said to him, son, you are always with me. And all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost. And has been found. This older brother couldn't believe it. It was so typical He was out serving his father, dutifully doing what he was supposed to do. And his brother, who was really dead to him anyway, was now wearing his dad's robe. His dad was throwing him a party. Maybe you can see yourself in the mirror of the older brother. Here are some of the things he was thinking from this scripture He thought he'd earned it. Here he had obeyed the rules all of his life, and the father owed him the inheritance, owed him a party, owed him all that the other brother was getting. He had his checklist, and he was spending his life working through it. He had earned every single thing that he would get. You can live the same way. You have your own checklist, and you expect God to reward it. If you do this, God will do that. You do good, God gives you good. See, but the older son forgot. He forgot that the father is gracious and generous, not just because of the older son's life, had nothing to do with that. It was his nature. It was the father's nature. That's just who the father was. That's just who God is. See, he wants to give good things to his children. Here's the second thing he was thinking. He really really wanted the inheritance more than he wanted the father. You know, this older son, he, he didn't ask for his money early essentially wishing his father dead like the other brother did. But ultimately, it wasn't his father that he cared about. He cared more about what was coming to him and what had been wasted. And that's us too. You know, our relationship with God can seem more like a contract than relationship. It can be, feel a whole lot more like duty rather than delight. We want what God can do for us more than we want God. Third thing, there was no way he would ever, ever forgive his brother. He thought his brother deserved to be separated from his father and deserved to be separated from the family. Look what he had done. You know, it's really easy when you're pointing the finger at someone else to forget that four other fingers are pointing back at you. This son of yours who has squandered his property was not only forgiven, but the father threw him a party. Dad, you may forgive him, but I never, ever will. We do that too. So many times we think some sins are worse than other sins. And we think we are better than those younger brothers in our life. But if God can forgive you, he can forgive everyone. That's what we forget. We all need the same grace, and we all get this same invitation. So, it's so interesting that the, the older brother was not at all moved by his father's love. He wasn't at all moved by the return of his brother. I mean, he had missed them embracing he was out on the fields, but, man, he, he didn't care. Wouldn't you think he would have been moved by that? He was kind of like the Grinch. It's almost Christmas time. I'm feeling cold outside. One of my favorites. It could be, you know, this part of the Grinch story, it could be his head wasn't screwed on just right. It could be perhaps that his shoes were too tight. But I think that most likely reason of all may be that his heart was two sizes too small. Unfortunately, this isn't a cute cartoon. The older brother is heart sick. I mean, this is serious. He resents his father's mercy. He didn't like it. And don't you wonder if those faraway Pharisees we talked about the first night were getting a little bit uncomfortable. That's who Jesus was talking to. He was talking to the Pharisees. He was talking to the older sisters. See, Jesus knew that they liked it when they had this preferred status with God. And Jesus knew that they had no interest in the sinner's. Finding God. They were just happy to be able to look down their nose at someone else so they could feel a lot superior. The older son totally missed that his brother was back. And the Pharisees totally missed that Jesus was inviting even the sinners to find life in him. And they were missing that they needed the invitation too. They needed it too. The father had already invited the prodigal to come home, but now it was the older brother's turn. See, Jesus wants to invite the older brother and those Pharisees to come home. If you're the older sister, he wants you to come home. The older brother, though, is is so mad. He's so closed up that he can't hear any of it. And so he he demands some answers. Why haven't you given me a party? Now you're wasting our, I mean, my money on this, this terrible human being who's brought disgrace to our family. Why are you doing this? Kenneth Bailey, that New Testament scholar offers again some insights. He says that in in that culture, that his public rebuke of his father, the way he addressed him, was literally a slap in the face. Ironically, this son's offense is even worse than his brother's. Because he makes his accusation in public where everyone can hear. Father, he's predictably unpredictable, isn't he? The father does what we don't expect. With absolute grace, he very patiently reminds the son that everything he has is his. And then he invites him into the party. He could have banished him, but he beckons him. His invitation to the one son is is come home, but the invitation to the other one is my dear son, don't miss this, come in. Both of you experience the joy that comes from living with me, the father. It's what you were made. See, the father loves to be with his children and will do whatever it takes to invite them to be with him. He he turns culture upside down. He surprises. He loves. And that's what the father wants for you. You'll miss it if you don't find your life in him. Remember that God-shaped hole we talked about? You know, if you're a younger, rebellious brother, you, you filled that hole up with a wildlife, with experiences, with thrill after fr- thrill, with controlling your own destiny. But if you're the older, rule-following, older sister, you filled that hole up with obedience and with status and with the building up of your portfolio. But you find out all of us do, that none of that is enough. None of of that gets us home. And what we really want is so much more than we've settled for. What all of us really want is a way to come home to our Father. And only our Father can issue the invitation, and he has. And some of us just still can't believe it. And a few years ago, during tax season, H&R Block was running this promotion for walk-in customers. Anyone who showed up for tax advice was automatically entered into a million-dollar drawing. End of the season, names were drawn, and it was Glenn and Gloria Sims from Sewell, New Jersey. Well, a rep from H&R Block Uh, Called them to tell them the good news, and he explained how the couple would claim their million-dollar prize. But Glenn didn't think it was real. He thought it was a scam, and he hung up the phone. I mean, you probably would have too. But H and R Block was persistent. They tried again. They tried by mail, and they tried by phone. But the Sims kept hanging up on the phone calls, and they kept throwing away the notices. Weeks later, h r Block tried one more time. This time, the rep told them that the deadline for accepting their million-dollar gift was coming and that their story would be told on NBC's Today Show. Well, that got Glenn's attention. And a few days later, he appeared on the Today Show to tell America that he and his wife had almost lost this million-dollar prize. It was too good to be true. God's offer, God's offer and invitation to come home really is too good to be true. But it's true. It's true. God's love is reckless. It's extravagant. He's the prodigal, the extravagant God. And if you don't know it, tonight can be the day you know it's true. See, the invitation is for you to come home and to live the life that God dreams for you. Don't miss it. But there's also major implications for the church. See, God's invitation not only connects us to him, but it connects us to each other. We're family. We're the body of Christ. We are community, and we're supposed to encourage and challenge each other to live as God's beloved. Women, were not always good at that. We need to do better. But even more important, God's invitation is for the world. See, he doesn't just invite the ones of us in this room. He invites everyone. And God wants you to be a part of his invitation. Tim Keller, wrote, who wrote The Prodigal God, says that religion really is the opium of the masses. But the gospel, the love of God, is the smelling salts to Christians. It's the love of God that wakes up the world and helps us see things the way God sees them. And as he works on us, love the way that God loves. But before you can turn your attention to the world, you've got to start with your invitation how will you respond? How will you respond to this life-changing, too-good-to-be-true invitation? Years ago in England, there was this this famous circus elephant named Bozo. People would come to the circus just just to see him, and children loved to crowd, crowd around this elephant and throw him peanuts. But one day... The elephant was different and he started acting violently and he actually tried to kill his keeper several times. When children came near his cage, he would charge towards them and it was very obvious that he was gonna have to be put down. The owner of the circus was very greedy. And he wanted to make some money to make up for his loss that this was going to be when he put the elephant down. So he very cruelly staged a public execution of the elephant. Horrific. The day came and the circus tent was absolutely packed. Don't you hate it that our world loves bad news? Bozo in his cage was in the center ring, and across the ring there was a firing squad ready with their rifles. The manager was just about ready to signal to fire when out of the crowd came a short, very inconspicuous man in a brown derby hat. He said to the manager very quietly, he said, there's really no need for that. The manager quickly brushed him aside and said, hey, do you know what this elephant is doing? He's a bad elephant. He has to die before he kills someone. The man in the hat said, you're wrong. Give me just two minutes in the cage alone with him and I will prove to you that you're wrong. The manager turned and and kind of looked at this crazy man and said, "You're, you're going to be killed. Don't you know it? The man in the hat said, I I don't think so. Can I do it? Of course, this manager, being the kind of man he was, couldn't pass up such a dramatic skeptical. If the man were killed, the publicity alone would bring millions to the circus. So he agreed. He said, first you have to sign a release absolving the, the circus of all responsibility, and so the man signed the paper and started to go in. The man removed his coat and his hat and and he got ready to go into the cage while the manager told the crowd what was going to happen. And you can imagine, the crowd got very quiet. The cage was unlocked. The man stepped inside. Then the door was locked behind them. The elephant At first threw back his trunk and let out this mighty sound, and and, and then he bent his head, preparing to charge this, this man. But the man stood very still, had a smile on his face, and he began to talk to the animal. The audience was so quiet that those nearest the cage could hear the man talking, but they couldn't figure out the words because he was speaking some sort of foreign language. Slowly, as the man continued to talk, the elephant began to raise his head. Then the crowd heard this this pitiful sound from the elephant and watched his head begin to sway gently from side to side. The man smiled and, and walked toward the animal and began to stroke his trunk, and the elephant had obviously changed. He was calm. He wound his trunk around the man's waist and the two walked slowly around the ring. You can imagine the audience was astounded and they broke out in cheers and, and clapping. After a few minutes, this, this man stepped out of the cage. He'll be all right now, he told the manager. You see, he's an Indian elephant and none of you spoke his language. I would advise you to get someone around here who speaks the language. He was just homesick. He was homesick. And with that, the little man put on his coat and his hat and his left. And he left. And the release that the man had signed, uh, his name was Rudyard Kipling. Right, Rudyard Kipling. You know, God sent Jesus into the world so someone could speak your language. See, he, he whispers the invitation to you whether you're the younger brother or whether you're the older brother. But he knows your language. He knows what you need to hear. And he whispers and he invites. He says to you, come home, come home, come home whether you're rebellious or whether you're religious, whatever or whoever you are, whatever you've done, whatever you haven't, the invitation is for you. Our music team is going to come forward and they're going to be playing. And I told you at the beginning of our time, I want to give you some time to really think about what God is saying to you this weekend. So as you're thinking about that, I want to give you some options of how you might do that. They're going to be playing. You may want to just kneel where you are. You may just want to sit where you are. You may want to come up here. Sometimes I think it's really important, just like... Uh, The the rebellious one had to come towards the father. If you need to get up and do business with God up here, do it. I'm going to be kneeling right here. You can join me. But let God speak to you. Hear this invitation fresh. Don't miss it, what God has for you. And after a few minutes, I'll, I'll come back and pray for us. Do your business with God. God would you by the power of your spirit help us to hear what you're saying to hear our invitation if we're still in a distant country not feeling good enough to be called your son or your daughter would you give us the courage to come home and if we're missing out on the party because of our self-righteousness would you give us the courage to get over ourselves so we can come in you sent your son whisper to us so we could say yes to your invitation hear our hearts as we keep singing these words to you